It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Lift off. on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. He got it. Same my first rodeo. To the basket, turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook's house, the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington, biggest shot of the game, and he hits it. The corner, PJ Tucker. Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. A network that I am very proud to be a part of, a network that will that is encouraging the speaking out against inequality, against injustice. And here's the thing is today's episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. Um, instead of talking basketball today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what's going on in the United States, what's going on in this country and this problem with it that has been around for generations, you know, that, that shouldn't be a problem. And I'm not one to be able to really speak on something like this because let's face it, I am a white male and I, I know where I stand and I've spent the last week or so just trying to listen and, and observe and, and hear those who have been affected by the systematic racism and oppression in our society over countless generations. And so I do want to start things off for today's show with a statement that was uh, sent to everybody at Locked On by the Locked On founder, David Locke himself. And this is why I'm proud to be a part of this organization and proud to be here doing this podcast. So this email starts off, Dear Locked On hosts, silence is a choice. The Locked On Podcast Network does not want to, that to be our choice. At Locked On, we stand for equality. We won't stand for hatred, bigotry, and the injustice experienced by our fellow citizens of color. We want to send a message of support, especially for those who are part of our Locked On family, of understanding, and to encourage a real dialogue that leads to change and a more just society for all. That message meant a lot when I woke up from a midday nap and read it. Sorry, I'm on vacation from my nine to five, and so my schedule's all over the place. But the message rings true. And so today's podcast will be a little bit different. The first thing that I want to do is I want to play back the audio of Steven Jackson discussing his good friend George Floyd and George Floyd's murder and the speech that he gave in Minneapolis alongside some Minnesota Timberwolves players, Carl Anthony Towns, and just, I want everybody to hear what he has to say. So we'll start with that before we branch off. And I have some personal anecdotes that I'd like to share. And I know that's kind of weird. You know, I just talked about being a white guy, but, you know, I'll share my little story here in the middle part of the podcast. And then to wrap things up, I reached out to some individuals that I've had the privilege to either have worked with before, either on this very podcast, or have just interacted with amongst, you know, Rockets Twitter people. And, you know, I, I reached out to some people of color who I wanted to hear what they had to say, because I know that this isn't my time to speak out on things. I want to use this platform and wanted to give them a chance to share their thoughts and feelings and emotions about everything going on. And so we'll get to that in the later segments. But first, here is Stephen Jackson speaking about the murder of George Floyd. I'm, I'm here because they're not going to demean the character of, Greg, of George Floyd, that's right, that's right. my twin. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when police do things that they know that's wrong, the first thing they try to do is cover it up and bring up your background mm -hmm. to make it seem like the bullshit they did, that they did was worthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When was murder ever worthy? But if it's a black man, it's approved. 
You can't tell me when that man had his knee on my brother's neck, taking his life away with his hand in his pocket, that that smirk on his face didn't say I'm protected. Oh, that's right. That's what it is. We gonna use our platform. I'm gonna use everything I have to get a conviction, to get all these motherfuckers in jail. Excuse my French, I'm angry. No excuse. But I'm a proud black man. Say that, say that. I mean that, from the bottom of my soul. And I can say that and tell everybody here I still love you. But I'm at a point now, I don't need your love. I honestly don't need it. And want me to tell you why I don't need it? Because the love I need, it's always been here. It's always been here. We just haven't came together yet. But I'm starting to feel it. Come on. Amen. I'm starting to feel it. I'm with you, Jack. I'm starting to feel it. And I thank God for everybody here. But we came for justice. We came for convictions. I definitely came, because this city is definitely going to take care of my brother's kids. He has two beautiful daughters that he can't provide for. Two nights ago, I'm on the phone with Roxy. To my white brothers, I love you. Every race here, I love you. But it comes to a point now where if you love me and you're not standing on the side of me, then your love don't mean shit. Yes. I'm at the point now where I'm tired of being a bigger person. That's right. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of walking around and seeing white kids and feeling like me being a, a having a, a big heart and just giving love to every race and we not getting it in return. Powerful words from Steven Jackson. And look, it's it's great if you want to jump on social media and say all the right things, but we've done this before. We've done this song and dance before where, you know, something bad happens, the media catches wind of it, and then everybody's jumping on social media and hashtagging and, you know, saying all the right things. It's about finally doing the right things. And I was I was forwarded this challenge, and it's called the Name Three Challenge, you know, and it's an exercise to really see just how much of an, I guess it's not to see how much of an ally you are, but just you know, and I was I was disappointed in myself that I couldn't fully answer all the questions on this list. And so I I would hope that if you're listening to this podcast, you will strive to be able to answer these questions one day and, you know, learn about things, read about things and, and broaden your horizon, you know, to to other cultures. And so here's here is the name three challenge. Name three black journalists that you read or three black websites that you follow. Name three black authors whose books have influenced you. And while you're at it, three people that you've shared those books with. Name the three tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement. Name three aspects of black culture that you have had to learn and adapt to in order to succeed at your current job. Name three racist remarks that you remember hearing, challenging, and that you corrected. One and two are easier for some. Steps three, four, and five are harder for most, especially four and five. So if you don't know the answers, now is the time to learn them. Now is the time to address change because it is never, ever too late to begin. This world and the awaiting next generation is counting on you. So let's go. Now coming up, I did say that I would share a little bit of my personal life and my upbringing and kind of uh, something that I think relates closely to the matters at hand, as well as I'd like to highlight the privileged article that one Kyle Corver wrote last year regarding the remarks of a one Russell Westbrook and what went down in Salt Lake City during a game between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Utah Jazz. We'll get to that in just one second after a quick word from our friends over at Blinkist. I was just talking about educating myself further and asking listeners to educate themselves further when it comes to black history. And why not you, why not do that with Blinkist? You know, you could do that by checking out The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander or possibly the autobiography of Malcolm X 
and Blinkist will allow you to do that. It takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. So where's the, there, there is no excuse, right? If you can condense something down into 15 minutes to try and broaden your horizon, why not do it? And with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to this massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. You can go to Blinkist.com MBA and try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com MBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com MBA. Let me get in one more quick word for our friends over at Built Bars. So I've been talking about Built Bars a lot lately, and the whole reason for that is they're good, right? Like I've, I've honestly, up until trying Built Bars, I'd never really had a good protein bar. I'd had passable protein bars. I'd had protein bars that were, eh, they were all right. Built Bar, it, it's such, it's such a nice little treat. It's a protein bar that actually tastes like a candy bar. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They have tons of great flavor flavors. I can't even talk right. Uh, the, the double chocolate mousse is honestly my personal favorite. You just can't go wrong with it. And look, these bars, they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Just like looking at the peanut butter brownie bar, it's 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, just three grams of sugar and three grams of carbs. Like where else are you going to find that? They're great for losing weight or even just maintaining weight. And you can check them out yourself. If you go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, you'll get $10 off your first order. So remember you you can check them out. Just use promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, where today we are locked on quite a bit more than just Houston Rockets basketball. So, as promised, um, sorry, usually, like, you know, discussing things on this podcast, it's usually, you know, I have everything very much laid out and it's clear cut and we're discussing this topic and then this topic and then this topic and it this this one's a little bit harder to do but so for as personally um yeah um so I grew up with a black older brother and this wasn't you know uh, legitimate like my parents didn't adopt a black older sibling um but I grew up in Meyerland near Hillcroft and Brazewood, and I grew up on a cul-de-sac. And across the street from the house that I grew up in was a Nigerian family. And one of their older children, out of six different children, one of their older children, Agosa, was, he, he took a liking to me. I mean, I, I think it started off, my parents were originally you know, asking him to babysit, and he would. And then from there, you know, he's about 10 years older than me. And from there, it, it turned into from just a regular babysitting relationship to, you know, if I think back to any moment in my childhood, I think of Osa. Sorry, that's his nickname. And, you know, he was such a huge integral part of my life. And I wouldn't be the man that I am today without his without his wisdom, without his guidance, without his love as an older brother. And to think back to some of the situations and the moments that I remember from my childhood with him, you know, he, <laughs> I think he used humor a lot of the time and still does to diffuse tension and kind of as a coping mechanism. But I remember specifically one time he was telling me about driving through Hedwig Village and was pulled over for nothing more than I don't know if he like rolled a stop sign or you know was you know speeding a little bit over this whatever it was right it was pulled over by a cop who took exception to this and decided to you know hold him overnight because of whatever small infraction he he had committed and he joked around a lot you know when I was younger that he was <laughs> pulled over for a DWB driving while black. And at the time, you know, as a young kid, I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, this is cracking jokes and, you know, not realizing the gravity of the situation, the gravity of the life that he lived every single day. 
And as I'm as I've gotten older and as I've been exposed to the ugly side of this country that we live in, you know, thinking back to all those moments with him and, and my childhood growing up, you know, it, it pains me. It pains me that my older brother, who I very much consider my older brother and he considers me one of his own, you know, I, I just I reached out to him the other day and I said, hey, uh, you know, I hope you're doing well. Um, he and I don't talk as much as I, I wish we did because he lives up in Boston now with um, an a a beautiful daughter just I got to visit with her last Christmas and she's the cutest little thing and um, just you know I reached out to him and I said hey I hope you're doing well you know I just with everything going on you know I just wanted to reach out to him and, and re reiterate my my love and gratitude for him and for the huge role that he played in my upbringing and in my life and the sadness at you know what is going on right now and, you know, he responded back and said, you know, I've been thinking about you a lot lately and the rest of the Gatlins, the rest of my family, my mom and my dad. I said that Osa wasn't, you know, a, a truly adopted sibling, but my mom tried to make that the case very many a time. She joked all the time about actually wanting to adopt him so that he'd be a part of the family. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, I just, looking at what's going on right now, you know, and I, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty liberal household so you know i race issues were never you know i didn't grow up in a household that practiced racism or that condoned it you know it, none of that ever happened and so you know i think thank my i thank the world for my upbringing that you know that wasn't ever something that i had to combat that i didn't have to outgrow or unlearn because some people are born into environments where that is taught and it's it's so true that racism is something that is is learned. You know, it is it is taught and it is passed down generation to generation. And we have to actively teach those and unlearn these behaviors to make for a better tomorrow. So I've shared my piece, and um, I would like to highlight uh, the article that Kyle Corver wrote for the Players Tribune last April, so April 2019, and just a couple pieces from it. I highly suggest for anybody listening to this podcast to please go check out this article because there's a lot more information in it than what I'm about to read, but I think these two expert excerpts from the article stood out significantly to me. So I did highlight earlier this was about the altercation between a fan who was using racially charged language towards Russell Westbrook, our now Houston Rocket Russell Westbrook, who at the time was playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and this was Kyle Korver's response to everything. Two concepts that I've been thinking about a lot lately are guilt and responsibility. When it comes to racism in America, I think that guilt and responsibility tend to be seen as more or less the same thing, but I'm beginning to understand how there's a real difference. As white people, are we guilty of the sins of our forefathers? No, I don't think so. But are we responsible for them? Yes, I believe that we are. And I guess that I've come to realize that when we talk about solutions to systemic racism, police reform, workplace diversity, affirmative action, better access to health care, even reparations, it's not about guilt. It's about pointing finger it's not about pointing fingers or passing blame. It's about responsibility. It's about understanding that when we've said the word equality for generations, what we've really meant is equality for a certain group of people. It's about understanding that when we've said the word inequality for generations, what we've really meant is slavery and its aftermath, which is still being felt to this day. It's about understanding on a fundamental level that black people and white people, they still have it different in America, and that those differences come from an ugly history, not some random divide. And it's about understanding that black lives matter and movements like it matter because, well, let's face it, I probably would have been safe on the street that one night in New York and Tabocephalosha wasn't. And I was safe on the court that night in Utah, and Russell Westbrook wasn't. The NBA is over 75% players of color. 75%. People of color, they built this league. They've grown this league. People of color have made this league into what it is today. And I guess I just wanted to say that if you can't find it in your heart to support them now, and I mean actively support them, if the best that you can do for their cause is to passively tolerate it, 
If that's the standard we're going to hold ourselves to, to blend in and opt out, well, that's not good enough. It's not even close. I know I'm in a strange position as one of the more recognized white players in the NBA. It's a position that comes with a lot of interesting undertones. And it's a position that makes me a symbol for a lot of things, for a lot of people. Often people who don't know anything about me. Usually, I just ignore them. But this doesn't feel like a usually moment. This feels like a moment to draw a line in the sand. I believe that what's happening to people of color in this country right now in 2019 is wrong. The fact that black Americans are more than five times as likely to be incarcerated as white Americans is wrong. The fact that black Americans are more than twice as likely to live in poverty as white Americans is wrong. The fact that black unemployment rates nationally are double that of overall unemployment rates is wrong. The fact that black imprisonment rates for drug charges are almost six times higher than nationally white imprisonment rates for drug charges is wrong. The fact that black Americans owns approximately one-tenth of the wealth that white Americans own is wrong. And the fact that inequality is built so deeply into so many of our most trusted institutions is wrong. And I believe it's the responsibility of anyone on the privileged end of those inequalities to help make things right. So if you don't want to know anything about me outside of basketball, then listen, I get it. But if you do want to know something, know I believe that. Know that about me. If you're wearing my jersey at a game, know that about me. If you're planning to buy my jersey for someone else, know that about me. If you're following me on social media, know that about me. If you're coming to a jazz game and rooting for me, know that about me. And if you're claiming my name or likeness for your own cause in any way, know that about me. Know that I believe that this matters. Thank you for reading. Time for me to shut up and listen. And like Kyle Korver, it is my turn to shut up and listen after a quick word from our friends over at Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now basically impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you bother enduring the often pointless and honestly intimidating questioning like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? It's all these letters and numbers being thrown at you while you wait for the counter guy to order parts off his computer, choosing the only brand that his warehouse happens to carry, if they even carry the part at all. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts and tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Final segment here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today, discussing a topic that is much bigger than just basketball and to help me do that, I have gathered a collective group of voices of people that I have had the privilege to know either personally or through social media to help share their stories about what it's like to be a person of color in this country. This is Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review with a few thoughts on the death of George Floyd and the impact it's had worldwide not just in the United States. Uh, as an African-American male, as a black man, 48 years old, I'm beyond tired of having to explain why we are frustrated, why we are asking for people to help us. I am just drained from having to deal with this seemingly daily, weekly, monthly. We need change in society. We need to change people's hearts and minds, the mentality that we are human beings. We do have a right to exist on this planet. We are not just for sports and entertainment. We need your help. We need your assistance to see us as people, to see us as more than just 
a body for your viewing pleasure. Rest in peace, George Floyd. I didn't know him directly, but I know I have friends who were his friends. So this hurts me more than many people. Like many brothers who live in America, I've had my own run-ins with police. When I was a teenager, when I was, was an adult. So this is not new to me. This is still raw for, for me. I'm still pissed off that we're still dealing with this in 2020 in the world and especially in the supposed land of the free, home of the brave, United States of America. Without lighting up this recording with expletives, we need to do better, we have to do better, we need better leaders, people in charge, people who wanna see change. Are they there? Do people wanna see change? We've been dealing with police brutality for years. Nothing has changed. We have to do better. We must do better. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's all I got. The last week has been heavy, to say the least. I would say my feelings have run the gamut from periods of rage to times of complete despondency. Um, one of the prevailing thoughts on social media seems to be that the fate of George Floyd and so many like him is the result of just a few bad apples, but the painful truth we have to confront is that racism is systemic. Um, it's indisputable that there are white supremacists who live among us, and some of them are police officers. Beyond that, though, they sit on grand juries. They are district attorneys, judges, and legislators. And when you understand that that level of hate, that white supremacy permeates the system at every level, it's very easy to feel hopeless and like things can never change. If you aren't black, you'll never know what it feels like to log into Twitter and see people using words like niggers, animals, thugs, apes, feral, to describe people who look like you. These people openly characterize people who look like you as inherently subhuman. They justify their murder, and in some cases, urge it and cheer it on. It's true that you can always close an app, but you know that these people don't dissipate into thin air when you do. They show up in the world. You interact with them on a daily basis, even if you aren't aware, and that's terrifying. Some of them are probably even friendly with you because they've gotten to know you personally and decided that you're somehow different. They reconcile their conflicting feelings by concluding you aren't that kind of black person. Over your lifetime, many people will have the audacity to say this to your face, as though it is a compliment. It isn't, by the way. You realized early on that someone's personal relationship with you isn't indicative of how they feel about black people broadly, so you're always on guard emotionally, just in case. This is your daily reality, and you pile last week's events and years of events just like it on top of that. So you are angry, you cry, you mourn, your hopelessness is amplified, you are tired. I know there are some people listening to this who are probably entrenched in their hate and that's fine. Those people don't get my energy. I know there are others who ask how they can help. Allies are critical because they help lift some of that weight. Attending protests is great. Engaging in social media discourse is great. Donating to worthy causes is great and necessary. But real allyship calls first for self-examination. It means checking your own blind spots, identifying your own personal biases, being real with yourself about how systemic racism benefits you. Real allyship calls for courage in the face of uncomfortable situations. It means speaking up when you hear racist rhetoric or dog whistling. It means calling your racist friends and family members to the carpet when they're out of pocket. It means holding those around you accountable. I wish that I had some profound or deeply meaningful thought to cap all this off, but I don't. 
So instead, I'll just say thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Anthony Duckett, and I'm with Space City Scoop. And I'm grateful to share my thoughts with Locked On Rockets uh, regarding the racial injustice um, that we've seen here of late. Like many others, I have personally been discriminated against uh, by law enforcement um, in the corporate sector, um, in gas stations, been followed around. Um, And my initial reaction upon seeing the George Floyd video uh, was really kind of tragic because I just felt like it's just another one of those incidents that we see all too often. Many have felt that the use of technology and or cameras has been a deterrent or has led to, you know, uh, more significant penalties for those law enforcement officials who have been involved in those incidents. I would disagree. Um, I mean, what what we saw with George Floyd is something that has been really going on for hundreds of years. And it's not the first time it's been recorded. I mean, we can go back to the 90s with the Rodney King incident. I mean, that was on on video and the officers that were involved, there was a myriad of them. And all those officers ended up somehow avoiding charges and or time. And I'm concerned that that may be about to take effect in the Minneapolis situation. I hope it doesn't, but can't help but think that that that's possibly could happen again. The biggest thing that, you know, my, my biggest takeaway, my biggest thoughts are that we really have not gotten better on that front and we need to do better whether you know looting rioting protesting you know i can't say what the right answer is of how people should handle you know the oppression that they may have bear witness to for decades i also can't you know i don't want to say one way or another what you know is the right way and what we should and shouldn't do but what i think we shouldn't do is we should not discriminate on the basis of race we need to stop uh, seeing law enforcement officials kill unarmed blacks, that needs to stop. I mean, that never should have started. And I don't want to sound biased at all because, you know, I have a brother who has been a, a police officer for 10 years at three different agencies. So I understand that not every single officer is, you know, um, I guess we would say one of those. But I do think that we're starting to see this become. A, a far too common occurrence and I don't have any kids but you know I'm fearful of whenever I do have kids that of having to have the conversation with them that my dad who was an attorney had to have with me which was that son when you get pulled over by the police you know make sure to say yes sir no sir yes ma'am no ma'am keep your hands up at all times make sure that they're visible you don't want to come off as any type of threat to them if you keep your insurance in your glove box, which I do, be be sure to let the officer know, Mr. or Miss Officer, I have my insurance card in my glove box. Do you mind if I reach and grab for that? To reduce and eliminate any type of concern or threat that they may feel that you are imposing. But I don't want to, you know, uh, make this about me. Um, I just feel that, you know, it, it's tragic what not only that we see with the George Floyd incident, um, what we've seen for hundreds and hundreds of years, the exact same things that we've seen African-Americans fight over, you know, hundreds of years ago, same exact fight taking effect now. And what I was really, really uh, bothered by was that while we have these protests going on globally, there was yet another incident in Louisville where a, African-American business owner was gunned down, which, mind you, is the same agency that gunned down Breonna Taylor while she was asleep in her apartment, you know, not even two months ago, three months ago. So I hope that we are able to put a stop, uh, put an end to the injustice that has been taking effect. I don't know the right approach, the right way the right message to tell people of how to fight it or how to feel about it. But what I can say and hope that we all agree on is that it needs to stop and it's been going on for far too long. Thank you. Hey, JT. 
Love the podcast and thank you for having me on. Go Rockets. As a an NBA podcast, I'm sure your viewers understand that the NBA is a predominantly black league and so this issue is hitting home particularly close for NBA fans and I'm sure it's hitting home for NBA players and you know everyone. And this issue is of supreme importance. It's been a long time coming. Police have been brutalizing American citizens generally, but disproportionately have been brutalizing black people for years. People have been asking for change. I should add that people have been uh, asking for change in a peaceful way, and those calls have largely gone unanswered, and it's time for real reform in that area. It's time to really think about the militarization of police in our country. And, you know, this, this particular moment where people have taken to the streets... It's specifically about black lives, but it's so much bigger than that. It's it's an it's an American issue. It's all Americans should be scared having a militarized militarized police force who can get away with murder and brutalizing the citizenry with impunity. And you've seen a little bit of that with how the how the current president has escalated uh, escalated the rhetoric and really called for violent action against Americans who have taken to the streets to be heard. Obviously, it's a scary time to be a black person in America. It's a scary time to be an American generally. But it's also a time of dire circumstances. We are in the middle of a pandemic and people have grown so tired of the way that black people are treated in this country by police and other institutions that they've taken to the streets to demand that they be heard, despite the fact that People have been killed. People have been beaten by cops. These protests have some sometimes grown violent. And I think it's one thing for people watching TV and to say, oh, there was a violent protest. But I think what people need to pay more attention to is how protests become violent. I have attended protests that became violent. And a lot of times the way these things become violent are the police begin to use violence against people for uh, disobeying orders. And then that violence is sometimes met with resistance. Um, so it's obviously a scary moment, but it's also a really inspirational moment just to see people use their political voice and to definitely see how diverse these protests have been. It's not just black people out there in the streets or out there on social media making their voices heard about this very important issue. It's people of all colors from all different places or people having these kind of protests all across the world, really. And it's a inspiring moment to see people fight for what's right. And I definitely think that the listeners of this podcast should try to find their way to use their voice, whether that's being on social media or donating to different bail funds uh, or donating to funds that are helping people set up protests. This is a time to be heard on this very important issue, especially for NBA fans who have, by definition, some some access to black culture and they're seeing the expression of black culture very artistically via the NBA. I just think it's a moment where people are being heard and it's scary and it's a scary time to be an American, but it's also inspiring. And thank you, everybody who's using your voice for good. Hi. I'm Rowdy Maya. I became a red rowdy when um, Jeff Van Gundy and Tracy McGrady started the group in 2006. At that time, um, a year before, I was a season ticket holder. And when the opportunity came about to join a group of fans and loudly support the team, I I couldn't resist. Um, the group was so diverse, different backgrounds, ages, uh, everybody in the group was like, it was kind of like a UN situation when everyone was selected and we got along perfectly. It was the perfect example of what I expect our country to be, but oftentimes it isn't. It isn't a perfect example that we had in the Red Rowdies, the diverse groups, different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Um, most of the time when I'm outside of the Rockets, 
Toyota Center of the arena, I faced the harsh reality that we don't all get along. Um, I think my earliest memory of being seen as less than human was in elementary school. Um, I grew up in Pasadena uh, School District, and I used to remember the kids, they just looked at me differently, or they would say mean things, and we all, me and my brothers and my sister, we were all in the same school district, so we kind of just talked to our parents about it. It wasn't really a whole lot of discussion at home about let's go up to the school and talk to the principal. It was just something we had to cope with. I remember in uh, on a field trip with my geology class, there was, uh, we were taking, they took us on tours to visit different cemeteries because this is geology and that's what we were studying rocks. And a couple of the, one of the students on the, on the, uh, bus was extremely racist. I mean, he would be, uh, you would consider him these days as a KKK member, uh, probably came out the womb with those racist tendencies because he was very outspoken. He was, it was very obvious. He was a KKK member and he, he started talking to the bus driver and complaining about going to African-American cemetery and um, two of my classmates jumped them. They all, it was all females, uh, black, uh, me and my black classmates, they were all females. And we, uh, three of them like jumped them, two or three of them jumped them. And I was pulling them back and I was like, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. Don't get upset about him. Let him be ignorant. And every, I mean, he stayed in the front of the bus. The teacher sat in between, uh, uh, like as a middle section to keep us separated from him. And every time he walked through the hallway at school, he was getting threatened, but he also had support. So it was really a hot topic. Uh, being he was he was confident in his races, like he wasn't getting kicked out of school or anything like that. And we were disappointed that the administration never took action against him. They knew exactly who he was, and they didn't take any action. He was never expelled. So I kind of, that was just, a, that was in high school. And so different things happened. And with the immersion of cell phones and video recordings, you begin to see stuff hit uh, the public news outlets more often. And it was stuff that had been talked about in the community. Different family members would tell me stories about Jack Rabbit Road, which is a road off of two, 290 and Highway 6, where back in the day, black men would be lynched by the police officers in, on, on Jack Rabbit Road. I heard stories about that. Um, and they grew up in like, some of my family members grew up in Acres Homes, some grew up in Third War, and they all had different stories of having an uncle, a brother, a nephew, beaten by police and so I knew about the police I knew about police brutality before it was mainstream news because it's just something that is discussed in the community and there's no action it's like no one ever talked about how we could uh, how we could defend ourselves in those situations it was just like you just had to accept it all of that all of that is on my mind and all that help all of that bothers me it just it makes me upset to even be here to have to live in this country and for like the last four or five years I've been plotting just saving money and figuring out an exit strategy because I absolutely don't want to live in America no more than I have to and I've been here 46 years I can't be in my 50s here I'm so sick of this country I absolutely I'm sick of this country. Hello, my name is Lashard Binkley, and I just want to share some of my experiences being a black man in America. I'm a pretty, pretty good student of history. I know my black history all the way back from 
when black men and women were kings and queens all the way up until present day. I know struggles of black people because my great great grandparents told it to my great great grandparents to my grandparents to my dad and I know what they've dealt with from living on plantations to dealing with Jim Crow era to just discrimination on their jobs. These are stories that I know for a fact, not just something I've read in a book or something I may have heard in passing. These are stuff that I know for a fact. So I know that this goes on and still goes on to this day. My own experiences from being a young man, riding with my friend to the movies, having a couple of police officers drive up behind us really fast, pull us over when all we were doing is going to get gas, wasn't even playing loud music, wasn't doing anything wrong, pulled us over, got on their loudspeaker, get back in the car, get back in the car. So we sat there for 10, 15 minutes not knowing what's going on. Obviously, they were running our license plate, trying to see if we had warrants for no reason other than we were driving while black. And after they were done, they got back in the car, took off, no explanation, no nothing. And this is the type of stuff that black people deal with all the time that's not on camera. I can tell you another time I was pulled over for speeding or what, whatever they said I was doing at the time, some minor traffic violation. One of the first questions out of their mouth was, what's this my car? It was a nice car. They kind of just got it. Maybe other people get to ask that question, but it just strikes me as odd that that would be part of your questioning on a speeding ticket. I've dealt with times where I've been in grocery stores or electronic stores and I notice people following me around, employees, out of nowhere. I start stocking shelves that don't need to be stocked. And I'm sure some people are going to be saying, well, maybe you're just exaggerating. But working in these places, knowing how loss prevention works, I can tell when it's a legitimate reason why they're on the aisle. And and I can also tell when they're actually following people. And this happens to me more times than I can count. I can tell you times where I turned in my resume, great phone interviews, everything is perfect, and I get to the job, and it's, it's almost like the look on their face just completely changes. Now, of course, like I said, people may say you're exaggerating, you're making too much out of this, but Knowing history like I do, especially black history, these scenarios aren't far-fetched. This stuff is not just in people's heads. This is the type of stuff that black people have to deal with on a daily basis. It's not just when it's on camera and black people being killed. That's bad enough. But just imagine the stuff that's happening when there's no cameras around. If black people can be killed in the middle of a day, in the middle of a street, On camera, imagine the scenarios that happen when there's no cameras around. Just think about that. Just think about if you're another race, would you want to be treated like black people are treated? Do you think to yourself, well, black people have more advantages than I do? That's some of the things that I have to deal with as a black man. Just walking out of the house, I'm more worried about being pulled over, being harassed, being taken to jail for no reason, being falsely accused, being killed by a police officer. I'm more worried about that than just some random violence that may happen. So that's the mindset a lot of black people have to deal with. 
And that's why I want people to understand that it's not just simple as, well, slavery happened so long ago. My parents didn't own slaves. I didn't own slaves. Why do y'all keep talking about it? It's like, I put it like this. You're in a race. And you have black people. You have white people. And just think of like think about it like this. The fact that there was slavery, the fact that your great 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 grandparents may have not directly owned slaves, but they benefited from the free labor of slaves. So they were able to pass that down to their kids. Then they passed that down to their kids. So all this time you're building wealth while black people had to literally start from nothing. Less than nothing. So they didn't have those opportunities to pass this stuff down to their kids. And they're going to pass it down to their kids. And it eventually gets to our generation. So we're starting at the starting line. While other people are starting at the 50-yard line. Just think about it that way. So we're so far behind in the race. That that's why it's important to continue to bring up the history of slavery, the history of how black people were brought here. I don't expect everybody to understand what I'm saying because not everybody has lived my life or the life of my ancestors. But you do need to hear and listen to my experiences and know that they are real. This is stuff I deal with till this day. Even as a professional, I deal with it to this day. And racism hasn't changed. Some things have gotten better. Overall, it hasn't changed. It's still out there. It's just being recorded more. So I say all that to say, just listen to my story and just know there's millions of other people who have stories, black people that have stories just like me. Nothing changes overnight, but at the same time, just know when black people are angry and black people are frustrated, it's for a reason. We just want to be treated equally just like everybody else. Extremely powerful thoughts feelings, emotions, and statements in that last segment. I hope that today's episode has broadened your horizons a little bit and shed some light on some of the everyday struggles for people of color in the United States. Now, I'd like to close off by reiterating the statement from David Locke, the CEO and founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Silence is a choice. The Locked On Podcast Network does not want that to be our choice. At Locked On, we stand for equality. We will not stand for hatred, bigotry, and the injustice experienced by our fellow citizens of color. We want to send a message of support, especially for those who are part of our Locked On family, of understanding, and to encourage a real dialogue that leads to real change and a more just society for all. So as always... Thank you all so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.